Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trending lower this morning following an overnight retreat on Wall Street. Tokyo trading down 1%. Sydney and Seoul both in the red as well, though not as much. The ASX 200 in Sydney is down about one-third of a percent. The Kospi in Seoul off a quarter percent. Sentiment there being hit by the latest Korean inflation numbers. Joining me now as we break down all the market action, how is Tuesday looking, Ryan Huang? Looking good, Michelle. All right, wonderful. Let's kick it off. Uh, yesterday, we started by talking about banks, both overseas and local, and their corporate results. And we're going to pick up from there again today, only with one of the region's biggest financial companies, HSBC. So what makes HSBC's results particularly interesting is that the company has been coming under significant pressure to split its Asian and its European businesses. And it's a move that its executives have been fighting against. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, let's check out the numbers. HSBC's second quarter profits came in above expectations. The bank netted nearly $5.5 billion US dollars from April to June, 60% more than from a year ago. So what is driving HSBC's business, Ryan? Yeah, in short, uh, it beat expectations. And I would say the Asian division or the part of the business was what was really driving the business. And you have Asia's share of profit up to 69% in the first half of this year. That's up from 64% a year ago. And that really just underlines how all this um, talk about why shareholders are talking about spitting up the more lucrative Asian business is what's been driving headlines these days. So what's um, in focus also is the, I guess, pre-tax profit, $9.2 billion. It is lower from a year ago, from $10.84 billion, but it does beat expectations of $8.15 billion. So not as bad as what some analysts were bracing for. And looking at some of the details, HSBC also reporting a charge for expected credit losses, $1.1 billion as it sees heightened economic uncertainties and rising inflation, putting more of its borrowers into difficulties. So quite a reflection of what we've been seeing in the banking industry, just buffering for harder times. HSBC is paying an interim dividend of $0.09 per share and it's telling investors it will start paying quarterly dividends again as it did before the pandemic early next year. Now, Ryan, HSBC is headquartered in London, but most of its business here in Asia. The bank's largest shareholder, Ping An Insurance, has been pressuring HSBC to spin off its Asian operations, something the bank doesn't want to do. I understand HSBC did not directly address the issue during its earnings call, but that it is taking steps to fight back and to block this drive to split up. How so? Yeah, I think this really had its roots when we had COVID-19 and many banks like HSBC had to conserve cash and HSBC back then had to do away with its very, very popular dividend policy and expectedly a lot of shareholders were not happy. So here is where we have right now HSBC, HSBC trying to woo its investors with a higher profitability target and also a more bullish dividend outlook in order to soothe some of those 
investors who want more in terms of more dividends. So it remains to be seen if that's enough for mm. HSBC's investors who are not happy with the way dividends are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, HSBC says it will pay an interim, interim dividend of $0.09 cents per share. But it does say stock buybacks remain unlikely this year. So it's still probably going to be a very conservative approach from HSBC for the near future. Shares of HSBC have rallied in advance of its earnings announcement. They are up 6% over the past week and nearly 20% over the past 12 months. Now, Ryan, if you had to look into that crystal ball of yours, I know sits under your desk, do you think we'll still be talking about HSBC as a single company in one or two years from now? Mm. Or do you think it could succumb to China's pressure to split up? What's the educated guess? Okay, I am going with it's possible because Mm -hmm. you have a lot of pressure. And look at the headlines. You have many unhappy shareholders, including the largest one, Ping An, and then under Ping An, you've got all these individual shareholders trying to get something done. All these activist shareholders. In fact, one of them is putting together a group of them that's totaling nearly 3,000 local investors who are not happy with the dividend policy right now. And they want HSBC to do more. So just imagine 3,000 of them not happy. It could be more um, in the near future. So this is a huge group of shareholders just piling on more pressure on HBC until they get something they are happy with and it is very hard to see them being happy with anything less than what they want and maybe it has to eventually bow to some extent to these expectations. Let's turn now to geopolitics, Ryan, and a story that really has potential to rattle members of the market, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Asia. Pelosi arrived in Singapore yesterday, where she and a delegation of U.S. legislators met with Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong, President Halima Yaakob, and other officials. Today, while it's not official, Pelosi is expected to travel to Taiwan. If she does, she will be the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit the self-governing island in 25 years. Beijing, as you can imagine, is not happy about about this. But the Biden administration, Ryan, has not encouraged Pelosi's trip, but it hasn't tried to stop it either. What is it saying now that it appears that the visit is imminent? Yeah, looking at the reports coming through, she's expected to arrive at 10.20pm local Taiwan time. So it is not confirmed per se yet, but that's based on the reports coming through. She is going to be in Taiwan tonight. And so far, the U.S., at least going by what National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby is saying, there is no reason for Beijing to turn a potential visit that is consistent with long-standing U.S. policy into some sort of crisis or conflict or use it as a pretext to increase aggressive military activity. So he's saying, you know, this is pretty much what's in line with what the U.S., Um, is doing in terms of foreign policy. So no big changes in terms of how it views Taiwan or China or anything else. So Mm. it's status quo. So no reason for a big reaction. So that's pretty much the summary of how the US is at least trying to massage it. Does it appear that Beijing is going to heed this advice? Or does it appear where we could be on the threshold of a major geopolitical crisis? It does not look like they will take it lying down because going by the rhetoric coming through, you have words like, this is going to be a problem for whoever plays with fire 
will get burned. That's one of the phrases that comes out from China. You also have the military exercises just escalating around Taiwan right now from China mm. and possibly more to come. So this is all about timing because China recognizes Taiwan as its own and is just ahead of the November summit where Xi Jinping is expected to get a third term. So there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of um, saber-rattling and politics in the background of this visit. So something that will likely create more headlines tomorrow morning for us to talk about. <laughs> There's no good segue really between geopolitics and our next story. So I'm just going to jump into it. We're going to talk about chickens. All right, Ryan, last time you had really good chicken rice. Mm, that was a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Two months ago, Malaysia imposed a ban on chicken exports, which has forced local suppliers to scramble and really search for sources of the bird from Indonesia, Thailand, in even further afield. Well, the latest word from Kuala Lumpur is that there is now a chicken surplus up north. Fill us in, Ryan. What's the latest? I am scratching my head over this. So initially, <laughs> they had not enough chickens and now they have too many. So this is where we are at right now. Malaysia has an oversupply of chicken and the minister says they can export it. So I'm not sure how they can, I guess, transition to this place because what we have right now is a situation where people or countries who needed chicken back then have already moved on to other sources. So it might be a tough one for Malaysia to get back some of that market share without any trade-offs. They might have to sell it at a cheaper price or not be able to get back the market share they lost to places like Indonesia, for example, or to other places who have been making up the gap when they banned the export of chickens. Uh, but I think what's also worth noting is Malaysia itself, the supply situation is going through a bit of a flux right now because of the cost of raising chickens, the cost of labour on those farms. So it might not last very long, this oversupply situation, if the farms in Malaysia are not sustained or are not sustainable. So it remains to be seen if this oversupply situation will last long. Wow. Moving the supply and demand levers of chickens. We'll continue to keep an eye on that and how the story evolves in Malaysia. Time now for more corporate news. And for this, we turn to up or down. Time to play, Ryan. Are you ready? Let's go. PepsiCo. PepsiCo. Mm, I'm, going with, I'm going with up. That's yeah. in the news, PepsiCo, for buying a stake in fitness drink maker Celsius for $550 million, 8.5%. So this will give it some synergies in the sports drink space. Yeah, I'm going to go with up on the back of that deal as well. $550 million US dollar stake in uh, Celsius. That's an energy drink maker. All right, so up for PepsiCo. Next, let's look at the electric car maker, Nicola. All right, Nicola, I would go with up. It has struck a deal to buy struggling battery pack supplier Romeo Power for $144 million. So this is at a 34% premium above Romeo's closing price. So I guess a bit of vertical integration does help with the entire business model. Yeah, so Nicola acquiring that battery pack supplier, Romeo Power, gives it greater control over a key part of its supply chain. So that's going to be an up for Nicola, at least in my books. Boeing. Boeing's going to be an up for me. So mm. they have cleared a hurdle with the FAA to mm -hmm. restart the deliveries of the 787 Dreamliner. So these have been pretty much halted since late 2020. 
And you've got many airlines lining up to get a piece of the 787 now. Shares of Boeing jumped 6% overnight on news that it did clear a key regulatory hurdle and can begin delivering those 787 airliners to its customers again. So it's an up for Boeing. Its stock has now risen by more than 20% over the past month. For the year, though, Beijing shares still in negative territory. Let's look at Pinterest. Pinterest is going to be an up for me, but it's a Mm. case of um, glass half full and half empty. Okay. So you've got the latest earnings missing on the top and bottom lines. It also gave weak guidance, but the bright side of things is it was not as bad as what many investors were bracing for. So we saw the monthly active users declining by 5% from a year earlier to 433 million. Analysts were expecting a steeper drop to 431 million. So all in... Not as bad as expected. And mm-hmm. you also have one of the key investors, Elliott Management, confirming it's pretty much still um, liking Pinterest and has a strong conviction in Pinterest as an investor. So that's shoring up the confidence behind Pinterest. Yeah, and if we look at Pinterest shares in terms of glass half full, Pinterest shares have surged more than 20% in after-hours trade following that earnings report. Some read it as solid because it indicates that its subscriber and sales numbers are resilient. 20% is quite a jump. So up for me. For Pinterest, let's turn now to the Indonesian tech giant Bukalapak. I am going up and this is with the e-commerce giant Mm. swinging back to black. Mm. $577 million in the first half of this year. Back from a loss the same period last year. So Back in the black for Bukalapa. Yes. Good for the Indonesian e-commerce company reporting second quarter revenue more than doubling year on year. Let's look at oil prices, Ryan. Mm, okay, I will go down. So this is with oil prices drifting lower off the back of a couple of things we've been seeing in the past few days. Mm-hmm. First, it was the weaker demand that we've been seeing in the manufacturing space from China over the weekend, surprise contraction. And overnight, we had the US manufacturing gauge also um, coming down to its slowest pace in um, nearly two years. So that is with the ISM manufacturing index at around a reading of 52.9. So that is uh, just showing how sentiment is slowing down in some places and weighing on the demand outlook. For the first time in nearly two years, oil prices have dropped two months in a row. So, yes, weak factory data from China has encouraged the selling. A barrel of West Texas crude now selling for 94 US dollars. Brent crude, though, is still at the $100 mark. I'm going to turn to Singapore now. The Straits Times Index started August off on a positive note. The blue chip index jumped nearly 1% yesterday to 32.38. Jardine cycling carriage was the biggest gain among the blue chips. So what's the picture like this morning? How is the STI performing? All right, let's check in with the Straits Times Index. You've got markets right now just above water by 0.04%. 3,239. And looking at the 30 constituents, you've got slightly more red than green right now. At the top of the table though, what we have right now is 
Jardin Matheson Holdings up by 3.1%, followed by Jardin Second Carriage up by 0.8%, and OCBC Bank up by 0.7%. And what's worth watching today, you've got a couple of companies, I think um, zooming in will be Great Eastern Holdings, which is under OCBC. Ah. They have posted a net profit of $282.9 million. That is 22% higher from last year and mainly due to the insurance business, which grew 19%. Let's take a look at Great Eastern right now. And it is in the green by 0.2% at $19.49. All right, one last story before we go, and one that is potentially bad news for our Australian friends. The price of beer has jumped up, down, under, or as Bloomberg puts it, Australian drinkers have woken up to a hangover. Inflation and a quirk in the tax system have sent beer prices in Australia spiralling. Now that is froth you don't need. Ryan, what happened? How much does it cost? <laughs> 15 <laughs> Australian dollars a pint. That's pretty hefty. <laughs> and this is all because of, what you pointed out, a quirk in the tax system. So how they, they tax some um, beer or alcohol is by linking it to inflation. And with inflation these days just going up at its fastest pace, at least in Australia, the fastest pace in 21 years, the taxes has been moving in line. So much so, it's now higher by 4% for the tax based on the semi-annual CPI indexation review. So the ATO just lifted the taxes by 4% and that brings the the price of a pint of beer to 15 Australian dollars. We pay $15 for a pint of beer. Never. (laughs) Drink something else like Pepsi. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's not inelastic for me. Well, there are a number of bars here in Singapore that charge $15 a pint, though I I think it's really expensive. The Reserve Bank of Australia, meanwhile, is going to be looking at inflationary pressures today when it determines how much to increase Aussie interest rates. And if you're looking for a beer maker that's weathered the inflationary storm pretty well so far, Heineken's profits jumped nearly 25% during the first half of the year. And that is your market view. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.